Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Good morning. Good Saturday uh, morning, everyone. Um, I hope everyone is well amidst the pandemic. And I um, we're having a little technical difficulty do this morning, but hopefully we have um, everyone on the line. So joining me this morning is Sharon McNamara, uh, owner and founder of Boston Connect Real Estate, family relation, of course. Um, <laughs> and we are uh, we are trying to do this via Zoom today, which we've been very successful with in the past, but we were just having a little um, trouble with the audio. So Sharon, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes, I can. You know what I could... Um Try to, if you want to just give like a little intro, I think I'll try just going directly on instead of all my studio stuff, I'll just go on to Zoom just right on my laptop. Okay. So, do you want to do that? So Perfect. Let's like try minutes, that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then you can I'll, do I'll, you. Just, you give everybody an update on life. I'll give an introduction <laughs> to the show. Yes. Okay. Um, that's great. Yeah. Tim, I sound a little echoey. Does it sound echoey to you? Okay. All right. We're good. All right. So um, while we try to get Sharon reconnected via Zoom, I will just give a little introduction to what we were planning on chatting on chatting about this morning. So um, I put an outline together regarding the evolution of real estate, and I have several different subtopics that um, might be a surprise to Sharon actually, because we haven't uh, we didn't get time to collaborate on this before. But I am, but we are pretty good at um, making things work without an incredible amount of prep, but I did spend a lot of time doing some research for today's show. So uh, Sharon, of course, being a real estate professional and in that world for several years, and um, and we've had, uh, obviously, Sharon on the show lots of times before. Sharon has her own podcast, um, Talk Real Estate with Sharon McNamara. And um, we're gonna, I, I just had this thought to do how real estate and home ownership has evolved over the decades. We're just in this world where where uh, every aspect of life will evolve, of course. Things in my world, uh, the world of finance and investing and, and income and retirement has certainly evolved over the decades. Um, and and just the world and business and life evolves, of course. And, and I imagine that would continue forever. But I just started doing some thinking about how home ownership and the home as an asset and 
and uh, second homes as investment properties and just home ownership and real estate has evolved over time. And so I did a little bit of research on this and um, just wanted to have some discussions about um, changes that we've seen really over uh, generations, uh, decades. Um, so, so my high points for today's show will be, first of all, we're going to talk about the real estate environment. Um, I'm not as privy to that, obviously, as Sharon, but from what I understand, it's uh, still very busy. Um, maybe a seller's market still, lots of, lots of offers on when properties come on the market. Um, so we wanted to touch on that and sort of get a pulse on the real estate market. Um, and then I wanted to talk about the evolution of home purchasing. Um, you know, average age of, of first time home buyers and, and things surrounding that. Uh, like I said, the evolution of, of your home as an asset uh, for, for probably ever, you know, being one of the largest assets that people have, but how that asset itself has evolved and its role in your financial life has evolved over time. Um, and then maybe just like the evolution of the world and, and, you know, thinking really big, the evolution of the world and population growth and the evolution of government and regulation and how that, um, how that has affected real estate. Um, and then if we have time, the evolution of homes as investment properties, obviously things like Airbnb, VRBO, um, have changed that. And, um, I'm not sure if we'll have time for that, given all the wonderful other things we're going to talk about today. But, um, if we don't get to that, I, I am going to plan a whole separate show on that topic. Homes, as, uh, homes as investment properties with, with, um, you know, regulations changing in that world and how things were easy, you know, rewind several years, Airbnb made things super easy, uh, to, you know, made it easy to rent your home and, and grab additional income for your property. And now how maybe regulations have changed again, and now it's a little harder, but that's sort of a whole nother subject. So, um, Sharon, do we have you back on the yes, zoom? Oh, okay. Perfect. All right. I can yeah. hear you. Perfect. Uh, Yay. We did it. I, I, yeah. know. Um, I don't know what's going on, why it wasn't coming through my studio, but here okay. we are. So. All right. Perfect. Um, so again, we are uh, 781-837-4900. If you're listening to us on the South shore this morning and have questions for us, um, so welcome, and uh, I know you've been on the show dozens and dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of times before, Sharon, but yes. um, just a quick background on- Where I start, by the way, did you know that? I, d I don't know that. I would say it's at least 10 years ago. Don't you think? At least 10 years ago? Oh, 15 at least, I would think. Really? Yeah. 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 Can you hear me? Can you I, hear me right? I can hear you. I was just playing around with my- audio. So right now I have my audio on my computer down, but I have, but I'm listening via the headphones. So I just had to turn my volume up, but I think I'm good. Yeah, I'm but, my headphones work. But if I can't, that's okay. okay. All right. All right. So, um, so what do you want to just give us the pulse on the real estate market currently? I, it was kind of, uh, I, I guess I shouldn't use the word exciting when it comes to, when it comes to a global health pandemic, but, but, you know, it, we chatted a couple of months ago and it was, um, it was, it was just interesting to think about how this was going to affect the real estate market. And, mm -hmm. you know, were, was it going to come to a standstill or was, was there going to be a lot of inventory because, um, you know, pe people not employed for a period of time and needing to sell homes and, you know, flooding the market and things like that. So it was just kind of interesting to think about how this would affect real estate. So now here we are um, several months later and what what's going on? As I understand, it's yeah. still kind of low inventory and seller's market and lots of offers on properties and mm -hmm. but you correct me if I'm wrong. No, absolutely. And I mean, one of the things we talked about, I mean, I think the last time that I was on with you, I actually mentioned this to you that I didn't want everybody to get really nervous when they saw, you know, what the media was going to be saying in June about what had happened in May, because we could already see that happening. So for us, Remember, somebody puts a house under agreement and then we're not closing for another two to three months, right? So it's usually, I would say like 45 to 60 days. We're seeing it a little bit longer um, right now when we were going through the beginning stages of COVID and trying to figure everything out with closings. And as you know, Mark Stiles, who's, you know, has a show on WATD as well. Um, he was one of the first to come up with a drive-through mm -hmm. uh, type closing situation, um, which is awkward. It's different for us as real estate agents because there's only so much 
much space for everybody yeah. to be. So we're sort of not there anymore. But we have been saying and predicting and knowing exactly how the media was going to tell everybody to sort of get them panicked now. And I, I guess my biggest advice is don't be panicked now because the numbers that we're seeing for June and for May are based on what was happening in March in April. So, and that's when COVID started, remember? So that was when people were really nervous. That's when our situations were really strict with regulations on, you know, not going out, not doing things. How do we do real estate at this point? So a lot of things weren't going under agreement at that time. So, and that, remember, spring market for us is generally right after the Super Bowl, right? So Super Bowl's first weekend in February, then we see that's for us the spring market. Our spring market in Massachusetts started a lot sooner. And I think that there were two indicators of reasons for that. Um, One was that the weather had been fantastic. We had a very, very mild winter. So remember, it was was perfect because now you can see foundations, you can see roofs. People were still, you know, putting their houses on the market, buyers out there. The second thing, and this is sort of a weird one, but I think I'm right. Um, The Patriots got out of the playoffs quite quickly. Yeah. So in Massachusetts, people weren't hanging out on Sundays, really. Right. Right. They're like, all right, we'll see you at the Super Bowl. You know, who's going to be playing? So those, that was really good for the real estate industry, for Massachusetts especially, because we we had a lot of things under agreement. So the, the beginning of our year, pending sales were higher than what we had last year, which meant that our numbers were okay in March and April, probably higher than they were before. But then when COVID hit, pendings went low. And I have a chart and um, at our first break, I will find that chart so I can, if you can let me share my screen. Uh, do, you, do people watch you on Zoom too? Like how do people? I have not record, I have not, I'm not recording this Zoom right now, no. Because uh, I usually share mine on um, uh, the feed so people can um, tune into. But yeah, that's a can, little um, technologically advanced for me, even though I feel like I'm pretty good <laughs> with technology. But social media, I'm like, yeah, you don't know how to do that. For next There's time, one Sharon. Button, one button, it says Is it? Share, share on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but maybe I can do that later. Yeah. And um, just to show you some graphs, but we saw pendings in... April and March and April, they went down significantly. So we already knew that the numbers were going to be very, very low for now. Well, what do you think? And I have the article, actually, I'll grab that as well. Um, The article says, you know, oh, like the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Look what's happened. You know, the lowest numbers that real estate has seen since, you know, since we had the big crash. We knew that that was going to happen. So that's part one of it. Part two of it is I think that people are starting to get confidence now. Remember, this is our new normal. So people are starting to get confidence on how we still continue to do real estate the same way. Real estate was considered essential, by the way. So we never stopped working. Um, You know, it was certainly slower, but we were still preparing people to get their house on the market. We were still, you know, doing CMAs for people. So market analysis is... The inventory is extremely low. One of the things uh, we did a couple weeks ago on our show, we um, had some statistics, Mary Baker, uh, one of my team members, that in Plymouth County alone, we had 1,700 fewer homes on the market than we did last year. Last year, when I was talking- Oh, just at, you mean just at like snapshot point in time, you mean? Yeah, yep. 1,700 less homes. 1,700 less homes on the market in one county. Yeah, that is a lot. In one county. And remember when I was talking to you last year, what I was saying was we have low inventory. So now it's 1,700 less on an already low, low inventory. What we're seeing a lot of right now is um, multiple offers and new construction doing very, very well, extremely well. So I have a 34 lot subdivision in Pembroke, um, another seven lot subdivision in Pembroke, and we're seeing more and more people putting reservations in on the lots and building their homes because people are not tending to put their house on the market. 
I know I'm talking a lot here. I'm probably going to tell you everything you want to know in the first 15 minutes. No, but. yeah, slow, slow down. We got a couple hours to fill. <laughs> well, first of all, if I had a, like a nickel for every time I told people to turn off the media because it's going to yeah. cause you more panic than it's worth and cause you to make a mistake, right? Mm-hmm. Especially, yeah. you know, in the world of finance, that's just a re- regular and recurring discussion I have. Um, the media intentionally wants mm-hmm. to create hype and excitement mm-hmm. and, and, you know, excitement can be a good thing or a bad thing. And so, you know, especially in my world, it's best for your long-term financial future. It's best to just tune it out because it's going to mm-hmm. cause you panic. So it doesn't surprise me that it's the same, um, in your world. And yeah. I was just thinking, you know, as you're talking about, you know, low inventory and, and, um, you know, compared to last year, even though last year was low inventory. So extreme, so we're talking about extremely low inventory. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I was just kind of thinking in my head, like that's a bad thing for first time home buyers. I'm not necessarily seeing that as a bad thing for homeowners in general. It, yeah. I guess it depends on if you're upsizing, or, you know, if you're a, mm-hmm. if you're upsizing or if you're a first-time homebuyer. Low inventory is not a bad thing. If you're just a real estate owner with no intention of moving at any given time in the near future, anyway, or if you're mm-hmm. going to be downsizing, you know, mm-hmm. in the future, that's not a bad thing, Mm-mm. right? And and no. um, yeah, so it's just like this kind of ties in with the evolution of your home as an asset. Um, you know, and I don't know how inventory has changed over the decades, but um, mm-hmm. th- I, it almost seems like, at least at the present time, maybe this is not a long-term trend, but, you know, if you rewind decades and decades ago where people lived in their home for 30 or 40 years, right, and that was normal, mm-hmm. What was inventory like on an average year back then? You don't have to answer that. I'm sure you're not prepared with that statistic, but I, I just wonder if it's like kind of like what it is now. Yeah, well, um, 10 years ago was when, remember, so we're in 2020, so 10 years ago, t- you know, 2010 was the decline of our market. So I don't know. I think it's very similar for you, but in real estate, we sort of see things go like this every 10 years. Mm-hmm, yeah. So 10 years ago, we had very, very, high inventory because we were at the bottom of what was going on. So for us, inventory was high at that time yeah. because of foreclosures and things like that that were going on. So now we're just the complete opposite of, of that. And, you know, there's a couple different things. I mean, statistically, we used to say, you know, people were moving every seven to 10 years. That number is creeping up. Yeah. So you know, we're seeing that. Another thing that we're seeing is with COVID, it's really actually very, very interesting. And I have to tell you, I am very much a data geek when it comes to looking at all these things. And the way we changed our real estate show, we now call it the Talk Real Estate Roundtable, where um, Dustin, who is on our team, gives us a bunch of articles of current affairs. And we get to read them an hour before our show. So we're just having conversation, yeah. which which brings up very good conversations. So with COVID, people haven't been spending as much money, right? So they're saving more and they're able to put more money down. So back in 2010, when we had a real estate crisis, this is a health crisis, that was a real estate crisis. So back in 2010, when you, the houses weren't appraising, like when things were going quickly, that's just the way that it went. But then we couldn't get the appraisals to appraise the houses to appraise out. Right now, what's very interesting is with multiple offers, very low inventory, all these buyers want to buy that one house. So we're seeing multiple offers, people buying with emotion, not necessarily with statistics and data on what the value of the house is. Right. What's different is when they now go for that loan, let's just say the house is on the market for 500,000. People are putting in offers $50,000 over asking. $50,000 over asking. That's totally emotional, right? 
totally emotional right. buying, right? And dropping, you know, um, home inspections and doing whatever they can do to get into these houses. Because remember, a lot of people sold their houses in the winter right. and they were in short-term rentals right. hoping to get something in the spring. Right, and here comes summer and those rentals are rented for the summer and- Exactly. Right, right. So now we have somebody who has um, basically paid $50,000 over. <sighs> in the past, the appraiser would come in and say, okay, listing agent, Sharon McNamara, how, how, how are you comping this out? And I say, I comped it at 500,000 because that's where the comps are. We had several buyers who were willing to pay over. Well, the, the appraisal will come back still at about 500. Right, right. So the difference is now people were used to put in the words contingent upon appraising at or above sale price. Yeah. They're not, they're not putting that in anymore. And we don't have to worry about the mortgage because they've been able to save so much money to put down that they're probably putting, they're going to be putting down in a, like maybe say they put a hundred thousand dollars now, like before people were doing like a hundred percent financing, 95%. Well, maybe they're not that extra $50,000 plus whatever they originally had is going to make it. So they still get the loan but the sale price is going to stay the same. Yeah. So in that, that? I, I get that. In that example though, yeah, I do get that. I just, my mind was thinking that yes, like yes, people have been able to save more now, whether mm -hmm. someone buying a $500,000 house could have saved an additional $50,000, right? Just, yeah, it, right, I no, just, I know, yeah. but I know, right. But I, but I understand that like, over this several month period of time, people have, you know, people that were looking for a home have been able to bank some additional dollars for a down payment. Um, yeah, so yeah, several but, people have been able to be, especially with that extra $600 that people are getting for unemployment, even yeah. those people are doing better than they right. were. Some of them, you know, some of our first time home buyers. Right, right. So they were able to save that. Let's just face it, it's been what, 10 weeks? There's right. $6,000. So in that situation where the home appraise, only appraises for 500000 and they just made an offer for 550000 they better have additional cash because they're not getting the financing for more than what it appraises for. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So I had this situation so, that happened. So I yeah. had a buyer. What another thing that we're seeing is um, people that like houses are actually selling before they even make it to the market because the inventory is so low. Mm -hmm. So if you think about me, like I had a Zoom meeting with my office uh, on Wednesday. And we have a session with it that we're like, all right, I'm in need of, and I have coming up. So like one of my agents will say, um, I have a client that's looking for a three bedroom Cape. I have another agent that says I have a three bedroom Cape coming on the market. So it's almost like they're getting a little bit of a head start. But mm -hmm. in the situation that I had, I work with a lot of um, contractors and flippers, so to speak. And one of my flippers wanted me to put a house on the market. Well, I also had a veteran, a young veteran that I had been working with for two years. He got deployed, then came back. And I, and my seller is also a veteran. And I said, Hey, can I just introduce you to him? And instead of me listing this house, you just sell it directly to him. Yeah. So, and you just pay us to be a buyer's agent. Yeah. So yes, as a listing agent, I was giving up, you know, a yeah. percentage. Yeah. But I was willing to do that for my client. Yeah. You know, so. I, I'm, I'm trying to get this clear in my head. If something like this, where people are putting, you know, five, they're they're bidding five to ten percent over asking or whatever it is, I'm trying to mm -hmm. get clear in my head if this is this in and of itself, mm -hmm. you know, increases real estate values, perhaps for it a does. short period of time, or perhaps I'm trying to get it clear if this is mm -hmm. like an artificial, you know, real estate is getting uh, real estate mm -hmm. is appreciating, but is it artificial because this, these are just people bidding over asking um, yeah. or, or is but this it's still, yeah, but yeah. it's still the numbers, the numbers are still working right, because right, they're able right. to get the loan. So our sale price is still going to be there. So the regulations for banking have been very strict ever since yeah. you know, the downfall. So it, it, we weren't able to like jump up as high as we were able to because the appraisals were keeping all of that at bay. But that's exactly what I said. That was my aha moment on our show on Tuesday when I was listening to different conversations. And I was like, wait a second, we don't have to, we're not worrying about that right now because people are coming to the table with more money. With more cash, Here's the other right, thing. right. Yeah. Here's the other thing that's happening, Alyssa, is that we, so let's just say we have a client that can afford 500, okay? Whether they've saved more or not, they can afford 500. Showing them $500,000 houses and they're getting outbid. Okay, they're getting outbid every single time. 
we're now showing them houses for 450. Right. So they can. Oh, that hurts, right? Because that's <laughs> yeah, a different house. Know. Yeah. It's a completely different house. The, but that's what yeah. we have to do now. Yeah. The new, the new normal has so many mm-hmm. implications. There's so many. You can apply that to so many different situations. All right. We have to take a quick break. Um, you're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed. Joined this morning with Sharon McNamara, Boston Connect Real Estate. Uh, just talking about the real estate market in general right now. But we're going to start getting into the evolution of real estate and home ownership, which will be a great philosophical discussion, I think. I love to think big and imagine and vision. So this will be fun. We're just taking a quick break. We'll be right back. And we're back. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Happy weekend, everybody. I hope everyone is well. I am uh, in studio this morning, but for distancing reasons, have my guest via Zoom. We apologize for the technical difficulties toward the beginning of the show. And if you're just tuning in, forget that I said that. We were perfectly prepared for today's show. Uh, I We are talking this morning um, about the evolution of home ownership and real estate in general. And we're gonna get into that now. Um, I We spent the first uh, little bit there just, just getting a pulse on the real estate market, which is always exciting to me. Um, just excited to, you just got about that. What? <laughs> I love how excited you just got about that. They were like that aha moment. Yeah, know, well, like, it's, it's kind of fun. I mean, it's just, it is kind of fun. It's kind of fun to think yeah. about. What if I was, I have no intentions of selling my house. I love my home and my property, but yep. I, mm-hmm. it's just kind of fun to think about, oh, I wonder what it's worth now. It is kind of, you know. I and do as, an analysis for you. Okay. And just for fun. And as the years go on and, you know, you you pay down the mortgage and, you know, you get mm-hmm. old and you're like, oh, wow, all of a sudden I have. <laughs> have some pretty decent equity in here. It's kind of a secure feeling, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the thing, too, though. I think that is to your point that what you were talking about earlier is people are staying in their houses longer because I feel like a lot of people are making very sound financial decisions. I mean, Mark and I have been in our house for 27 years. Think about that. You know, sometimes people are like, oh, look how lucky you are. You have a boat. I was like, I paid $137,000 for my house 28 years ago. Yeah. You, you make know, cho- you so make choices and you make choices in life, and you spend money on what you value. And I I have yeah I pre- I feel like I preach that, but I really yep. do believe that. Like I think about that too. Like Kirk and I spent a good amount of money on a pool and a patio and some landscaping in the mm-hmm. backyard, and we use it all the time now. It's wonderful. But I don't have mm-hmm. a new renovated bathroom, or I don't have a new renovated mm-hmm. kitchen. You know, I I have an old a ten year old car that's all scraped up and crappy. Like I you know you just. <laughs> Um, and I'm trying to make it five more years so that when my oldest gets her license, I can give it to her. I'm trying to make it. Um, but anyway, yeah, you, you, you make your choices and you, you should spend money on what you value, not what other people yeah. think you should value. So, and yeah. too, with the pool, from a real estate perspective, people will ask me that all the time. Like, is it a good investment or is it a bad investment? Well, it, it really depends on what you're going to use it for. I don't think that you have one single regret for ever putting oh that my God. in. Never. Nope. I never regretted mine either. Yeah. I love it. And I'm so glad I did it, especially now because, you know, we're being home more and stuff. And I feel like, I honestly feel like it's gotten more valuable over the years as we've had more sharks at the beaches and now the jellyfish. And I'm just like, oh my God, that's (laughs) awful. I feel terrible about that, Mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm happy that I did that. But anyway, we digress. Mm -hmm. Um, we should have a, we should have a show about, about pools. Oh, and I have, the perf- I have the perfect guest to ask to come on the show. Okay, perfect. I'm going to write that down that we should we should do that. <laughs> or it could be like, you know, landscaping, exterior improvements, pools, things like that. That'd be cool. And they are super busy right now. So yeah. um, Sunshine Pool did my pool and we just did a big renovation on our pool. So Mike, I was pregnant with Casey, who's now 25, when we put our pool in. I know we are digressing here a bit, but um, that's the fun part about doing a show with yeah. you. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then over the years, like, you know, the pipes, we had to redo everything. And it was like, all right, now we have two kids in college. Like where, you know, so we just did it last year. We did all like, it's beautiful, right? We did a waterfall. We did the fire pit. We did all of that. Um, and we had Sunshine Pool do all of that. And they are super busy right now because mm-hmm. Mark does all their water heaters for them, all the gas piping and everything. And more people are just staying home yeah. because... I don't know. I sort of like it. It's like there's no place like home. I guess oh. I, 
absolutely know what that means now, you know? I've, I think I've always been a homebody, but through this pandemic, I've, it's, it really reaffirmed the fact that I am definitely a homebody. But I, I do love my home and I love my property yeah. and my land and I love, we have great neighbors and obviously mm-hmm. love my kids and they're at great ages to spend time with. So I actually have been mm-hmm. pretty happy through this whole, mm-hmm. other than the stress of, you know, trying to work mm-hmm. from home and the stress of what if someone that I love gets sick or what if I get sick and, you know, of course all that, but mm-hmm. I was, well, you got, you got a little break the other day. I heard. So. I did. Yes. Thank you to Casey for that. Now that I have my daycare <laughs> starting, it feels like we could finally do that. So um, she's, she was funny though. I am going to tell the whole, the whole world, but she's like, Oh yeah, she goes. I think that Alyssa was very, very, very ready to oh. have a little bit of a break. She goes, I, I show up and she's like out the door with the girls' yep. lunch and I was <laughs> outside. Sunscreen. She yeah, because I was texting her to make plans to start the following week, and she's like, Well, do you want me to come today? I was like, Hmm, okay. She was there thirty minutes later. I had the bag, and I and I you know I said, Do you want to stay here or take them back to your house? And she was like, oh, I can take him back to our place. And I had that bag packed within about five minutes. And I was like waiting yeah. in the driveway with the girls when she got there. But it's just, you know, love my kids. But it was great to be able to yeah. have a productive afternoon at mm-hmm. work. So that was great. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the evolution of of home purchasing. And okay. and I, I have a little, I know you don't love it when I get super technical and do my analysis. Although I just heard you say that you love to do analysis. So I get yeah, that it's in your world and not mine. So, but I do have a little like scenario that I wanted to go through. Um, mm-hmm. But just in general, like I, you know, I just was kind of doing some Google research and, and you know, lo- looking at how has the age of the first time home buyer changed over time and um, mm-hmm. assuming that the research was going to indicate that it has increased, which from what I can tell is the case. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I just saw an article in Bloomberg from six months ago indicating that there's a new record high first age for the first time home buyer of age 33. And I didn't mm-hmm. go and do a ton of research on, well, what was it, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. But, but clearly the age has increased for a first time mm-hmm. home buyer. Um, and, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of factors that go into, um, you know, why that is the case. You know, people getting married older, um, Mm -hmm. certainly being one. I I think education and and the cost of education is certainly another, if Mm -hmm. not perhaps the biggest factor. Um, you know, people getting out of school with larger amounts of debt as the call as the cost of education has just increased exponentially over time, and couple that with the fact that the, the pressure to be educated and to have a higher degree in certain professions mm-hmm. has has um, has is the case now, and so people now not just getting a bachelor's but needing to then get a master's or get a law degree or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, so certainly, I think that I'm assuming those. Are, that's a pretty significant factor. And we've, uh-huh. done, we've done whole shows on the cost of education and, and number crunching on that. So I don't want to digress in that regard too much, but certainly, I mean, you and I have talked about this people, you know, kids coming home from college and walking out of school with, a, with, you know, potentially a significant amount of debt and, oh. and living at home for a while before they even go out and rent. So living at a home for a while and then they're not starting their renter's experience in mm-hmm. the city or wherever, you know, then for several years later. And then that just pushes out the first time home purchase, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And so then I started doing some thinking regarding is this, you know, is it a, financially speaking, is it a good thing or a bad thing? that the first time mm-hmm. home buyer is now, let's call it five years older than he or she was before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I sort of, and I can, and I can approach this in different ways. And, and really the answer is, well, it depends on what type of home you're purchasing and, and what your mm-hmm. income is and your ability to save and stuff like that in advance. But I just have like one average scenario that I, that I wanted to go through just mm-hmm. to illustrate this and, and to prove one of the points that, um, that I, or, or one of the things that I discuss with some of my clients, if they're considering purchasing a home or if they're hemming and hawing about, oh, should I purchase now? Or is it okay to wait? Some people, some people get nervous to wait to purchase a place because they know that real estate, at least historically in, in most normal years would appreciate right? And Mm -hmm. should I get in Mm -hmm. now because it's going to be more expensive later? I think some people are nervous about that. Um, Mm -hmm. 
So one of the things I discuss with people is when when we're having those conversations about from from a financial perspective anyway, what is mm-hmm. the optimum time to purchase, right? Is it better to purchase when you have a small down payment but you're getting in early or is it better mm-hmm. to purchase when you have a larger down payment and mm-hmm. you're getting in later, right? But you, but you've yep. missed up on some upside of, in real estate appreciation. Um, so I have discussions with my clients about, well, it depends on your ability to save and accumulate a, a, a money mm-hmm. if you're going to wait. Like we were just touching on how like right now people are saving more money than probably ever, right? Mm-hmm. If, if, if they're employed or if they're, you know, if they're on unemployment and, um, you know, if, you know, my general thought is if someone is in a financial position where they're able to outsave real estate appreciation, then there's mm-hmm. certainly no harm in waiting. But some mm-hmm. people, but most people aren't able to do that, right? A lot of mm-hmm. people don't have enough free cash monthly or enough discipline or enough discretionary income to outsave what a home would appreciate for, right? So if you think about like mm-hmm. a $500,000 home, mm-hmm. I would just use like a 5% on average annual appreciation number for that. Uh, it could be very different in, in <laughs> this year, we might see 15% real estate appreciation. Mm-hmm. Some years we might see depreciation or nothing. So I'm just gonna for, for a minute use like a 5% um, average annual. So, you know, someone looking to buy like a $500,000 home in this area of the world, do they have an ability to save 2000 bucks a month or more so that they, mm-hmm. you know, or 3000 bucks so that they can outsave that? Do you know what I mean? So I have these conversations mm-hmm. regarding, well, it really depends on your ability to build cash because number one, that takes free cash, a significant mm-hmm. amount in that example, or and it takes discipline. How many people can mm-hmm. save $2,000 a month and not spend it and not be tempted mm-hmm. to change their lifestyle in another way? Um, so I just, I, I, I'll try not to get too technical with this, but I, 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 I just like to do these, I like to do the analysis just to kind of prove this point, ready? So I'm gonna try to go slow here and explain this and it's gonna kind of prove what we just talked about. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking of a, Cup, let's call it a couple. Yep. And right now they are renting and they're like 30 years old. Okay. Yep. They have the ability to save $2,000 a month. Let's say they're renting and they're paying $2,000 a month in rent. I'm just going to use even numbers. Mm-hmm. And they have an ability to save another $2,000 on top of that. And of course, I'm assuming that this couple is putting, you know, 10 to 15% in their retirement plans and they're on a good track for that. You know, let's, 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 let's paint a, like a, a lovely picture here of this responsible mm-hmm. financial couple. So they might say, okay, we're looking at houses. Let's just use, just cause I already used this number, $400,000 roughly, okay? So they're yep. mm-hmm. kind of like thinking we can afford a $400,000 house. Let's say they have a little cash in the bank where they could put like that 3% down, okay? Mm-hmm. So their, their choice is I could, well, just, I mean, of course, lifestyle, obviously, I think is a huge, the most important factor when, it, when you're making this decision, but purely from a financial perspective, they could purchase now, mm-hmm. put that 3% down, mm-hmm. and maybe, it, and it just so happens that roughly principal and interest payment on a $400,000 mortgage is like 2000 a month. So we're assuming that's like a lateral move from a cost point of view when you compare it to their rent, although of course they have property taxes and insurance and in the cost of home ownership. But I'm just trying to make like the rent payment the same as the principal and interest. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this but couple one might- of the things too though, just to I mean, to because we are getting technical, chances of this couple being able to qualify for the type of loan that you can do three three and three percent down for is probably minimal because their, go- their income is probably going to be too much in okay. order to be in a mass housing loan. Okay. So 3% is mass housing, 3.5% would be FHA. So if this couple is able to save $2,000 a month, and if they're already paying, I know rents, let's just say they're in the city, yeah. is minimally thirty-six dollars to $4,500 a month. So just those two numbers alone is probably gonna put them over that 
that 3% down. So they'll probably have to be conventional, which is 5% down. Which is 5% down. Okay. All right. So my number, okay. So my numbers change a little bit and I was way off on how much it costs to rent in Boston. (laughs) Well, it's assuming they're renting around here. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. All right. (laughs) So, okay. So I I guess I'm assuming like in my numbers, I was assuming that they ended up spending like, let's call it, they spend $420,000 on a home. They put that Mm -hmm. 20%, I'm sorry, 5% down, which is 20,000 and their mortgage is 400,000. Okay. You with me so far? Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's, okay. So that person, that couple might say, well, I could get into that home now. My mortgage would be 400,000. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Um, We have enough for that small down payment or we could, we like where we rent. We could see ourselves renting for like five more years. We could Mm -hmm. save this $2,000 a month so that our down payment is bigger five years from now, okay? Mm -hmm. So this person could save like $120,000 in five years, right? Mm -hmm. But but then we have this thing, this historical norm called real estate appreciation, right? Mm -hmm. And so if I'm gonna use that 5% number for a realist, for an average real estate appreciation, then that $420,000 home, I did my numbers a little different because I only had a 3% down. (laughs) But that $420,000 home at 5% growth over five years becomes like a 540 or $550,000 home five years later, right? That's Mm -hmm. That's actually pretty staggering only over five years time, right? Yep. So that couple, could that waited five years, yes, they saved a bunch of money. They saved $120,000. But now for that same, roughly same home, they're gonna pay maybe $550,000, which is like, so so they didn't make any headway. Does that make sense? Mm -mm. They essentially Mm -hmm. just saved what the, what, what the real estate appreciation was on the on the home in that price range that they were looking at. Okay, and can I let me just? I'm sorry, I I have no problem buttoning in, so I will. Um, <laughs> let's just say that they paid three thousand dollars a month. Okay, for rent. Yeah. All right. So if you think about that, so three thousand dollars a month that they're paying for rent over five years is one hundred and eighty thousand dollars that they just paid down somebody else's mortgage. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. And I, and that's interesting. You approached it from that uh, perspective. Very good point. I, I took it another step further and I compared. So in both of those instances, they, what I did was I assumed situation A, they get into the home with a low down payment. Mm -hmm. They take a $400,000 mortgage at, at a 4% interest rate. And let's assume they take a 30 year mortgage, which traditionally a 30 year old would Principal mm-hmm. and interest payment, 1900 a month. Over 30 years, they pay 600 and, well, my numbers are a little different because I did it on 412, not 420. Yeah. But they pay $690,000 for that $420,000 house. That's just that's just interest. Everyone pays more for their house because we have this yep. thing called interest over 20 or 30 years. So in the second situation where they essentially just saved as much as the real estate appreciation, they mm-hmm. still take roughly the same size mortgage. Let's assume that they, so they're five years older now. Let's assume, I'm gonna assume they take a 25 year mortgage because let's assume that they wanna pay it off at the same time at age 60. Mm-hmm. Maybe the, you know, we, I'm, I'm not gonna factor in variations in interest rates in that period of time, but let's say that instead of a 4% interest rate, that's 3.9 or something because they took a mm-hmm. 25 year. Their principal and interest payments would be slightly higher, maybe 2,100 a month versus 1,900 because slightly lower interest rate but over 25 years, their lifetime payments are a little bit less, maybe 650,000 instead of 690. And everyone refinances and moves and stuff anyway. But long story short, from purely a financial perspective, that was like, there was no difference for those people to do that because they were just saving the real estate appreciation, right? And so, Mm -hmm. so in order to really make headway 
uh, of course, there's so many variables. This is a very simplistic analysis and there are so many variables that, you know, what actually, mm-hmm. you know, real estate appreciation is and interest rates and um, their employment and things like that. But th- that is, there was no benefit to them for waiting other than lifestyle. Um, mm-hmm. And so for this, for the waiting, str- then a couple variations from this. If someone is not able to outsave the appreciation on the home or not even close, they're mm-hmm. gonna be way better off getting into the home. Mm-hmm. If they, you know, I shouldn't say way better off, if they can afford it, if they, you know, remain employed, if they have an emergency reserves account, all these things, yeah. because if your cash flow is that tight, you need mm-hmm. to make sure that that is still a smart financial decision. But from a real estate appreciation perspective, assuming a growth trajectory trajectory in the real estate market in that five year period of time, if you're, if that couple was only allowed to only able to save a thousand dollars a month, then the math would really support them getting into the property sooner. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so then I just, I crunch the numbers in one more scenario and and then I'll wrap this up. I don't, I don't want to lose people with the analysis, but I think this is super fun. So then (laughs) if we, if we assume this couple really has low expenses relative to their income. This is like my favorite young couple, right? They can mm-hmm. save $3,000 a month. So now if they're still looking at that, you know, in reality, maybe they'd be looking at a higher price range home, but let's just, let's just keep it uh, as- that I was gonna point out yeah, to you, by the way. For sure, that, so right, in, for sure. In yeah. your first scenario, that person who was able to save, I forget what you said, a hundred and- 20,000 or something. They were able to save whatever it was, $120,000 in five years. I'm letting you know that they will never just still look at the $400,000 house. Right. Oh, for sure. They Uh, won't. (laughs) So So I I did a couple weeks ago, I did a show with Justin and one of the things we talked about was like, uh, I don't want to get too into this because we already had the show, but it was sort of talking about some of these young millennial uh, overachieving, responsible mm-hmm. finance, overachieving, I don't mean that in a bad way. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, uh, super financially responsible young adults and how mm-hmm. they're like redefining financial life and retirement and, and working and not working and things like that. But one of the points was, what if we didn't have, what if our lifestyles didn't always change as our mm-hmm. income changes, right? There are those people out there that as they make better and better money, their life doesn't really change. And that's, mm-hmm. I, I think they're fewer, they're few and far between. But, you know, from from a financial responsibility perspective, those people are awesome because they, they just, ha- they give themselves so many options when, when they mm-hmm. have such low expenses relative to their income. But yeah, a- absolutely right. It would be, it would be the normal course of action for someone with that big down payment to, to look for that as, well, that could be my five or 10% down. And now I'm looking at a million dollar home. I, I fully mm-hmm. understand that. Um, yep. But I, I guess I'm like the eternal optimist that these people exist where they're still looking at that. Say their lifestyle mm-hmm. is, not that it's a bad thing to increase your lifestyle at all. I certainly don't mean that, but um, let me just make my financial point. <laughs> And then we can talk about how the emotion, how there's always emotions in investing and in real estate. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> but let's just make, I just want to make this point. Okay. Let, let's I'm think listening. about this 30 year old couple that can say, now, they, now they're in a position where they can really outsave appreciation mm-hmm. on this $450,000 home. So they're mm-hmm. saving $3,000 a month. So that is, they are really outpacing growth on what they envision as their home or like the, 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 range, the price range of the home that they imagine themselves in. I know these people exist because I have some of these people as clients. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that couple could save $180,000 in five years, right? And let's assume they're still looking at that same price range home. It's 550, yeah. but now they're only taking a, Three hundred and sixty or seventy thousand dollar mortgage. They're paying it off in twenty five years. So now their their principal and interest payments are pretty low, 
and 1800 versus, you know, in, in the prior example, 1900, and then their lifetime payments are uh, to pay off that house are pretty significantly lower by like a hundred thousand dollars. But mm-hmm. so I, I just, I like that example because it proves the point that your ability when, when this is, uh, when you're, when you're struggling with this decision or pondering, you know, whether it's better to get into real estate sooner because you can leverage that asset and have that, that growth of the asset, mm-hmm. even though you don't hundred percent own it, right. You still have the, mm-hmm. the benefit of the, the growth of the equity in the property. And, um, you know, a significant factor is what your savings ability is if you wait and and, ha- mm-hmm. and compare that savings ability to the potential appreciation of that property. So whether or not you're able to outsave whatever we think appreciation is going to be, and of course that changes you know year over year, mm-hmm. um, but that's a huge variable. Did I, I hope I didn't lose anyone bunny on that analysis? But but you're right, Sharon. Like per- perfectly fair point that because we have emotions and, you know, because lifestyle changes with income and with assets and with level of assets, um, Mm -hmm. that there's not a lot of people that would actually wait that five years, bank that money and still go out and buy the same house. Mm -hmm. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing. And and if they can afford it long-term, then, then, you know, all the power Mm -hmm. to them. And one of the other things too, when we're thinking about the different variables, so then we're thinking about the age of the first time home buyer again. And if you think about, you know, let's just say it's 30, right? When we think that the average age is actually 33 now, but five years, those people, you know, those other type of clocks are gonna be ticking. So (laughs) thinking about having children and doing things like that, right? right? So like, and I understand that you're doing it from a perspective of not putting all of those different pieces into it. Like, does it make more sense? But right. I just think at that point, then it's, you know, people are probably starting families there. And then yeah. that money is, you know, going somewhere else. You're right. Yeah. So it's really, really difficult to, to do that. One of the things I think is the best for me that I love to see my younger clients doing, and maybe not younger, but mostly the younger clients, instead of waiting until you get to that opportunity to buy that first time home, that single family home. So let's just even think about you, like your first property that you owned was a condo. If you had- Oh, hold on, about- we got we to take a break. Let's hold that oh. thought for after the break because okay. we're going to continue on Perfect. that. Uh, you're listening right, to McNamara okay. On Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined with Sharon McNamara, Boston Connect Real Estate. We're just taking a break. We're talking about the evolution of real estate and home ownership. We're thinking big today and doing a lot of philosophical analysis. And then Sharon brought me right back down to earth with emotions in real estate. We're just taking a break. We'll be right back.